I think it was like the first time I watched Blade Runner and I was like way too young to understand what was actually going on. And I think it stuck with me because I understood the questions that it posed like, oh, this is a human, but they're not a human. And it was like, what does it mean to be a human? And like, oh, these things that like, what does it mean to have emotions? And I was just like, way too many questions that just like stuck with me. And I was like, oh, like, this is what you can do with movies. Hey everybody and welcome to Department Spotlight, where we talk to our colleagues and friends about the South African film industry and just the film industry in general. So today we are covering directing and since me and Mark were the only two directors on this project, um, it's just us today. So sorry, no, no guest speakers um, or whatever, but I think we'll, we can cover some cool things. So yeah, I think let's just jump into it uh, directing. Mark, do you want to start? Sure. Um, I suppose the first question I have is, what are some good traits for a director to have? So I would say a good um, trait would be caring about people, you know, uh, friendliness, basically. Like, I've been, um, I, you know, you guys might, might not know, I, I did the full three years at AFTA um, Film School as a sound guy and a visual effects guy. Um, so I was more like post-production in undergrad, but then in third year, two of the directors um, dropped out of the project that I was involved in. So um, it was so I like jumped on board as like a co-director with like either cinematographer or like the editor or whatever. Um, and that's really where my love for directing comes from. And then in honors, I sw swapped over to directing and writing. Um, and then I made like my first like proper short film. Um, I don't count the other two that I did before this. <laughs> but so all of that to say is I've been on both sides of the coin, receiving direction and then being that guy who you know, barks orders on set. So I definitely think that a director who cares about you is most important. Because like, if you know, sound and visual effects, a lot of post-production post heavy, uh, disciplines and um, you know when the director doesn't care about you he just comes in at the last minute listens to the thing and says no no change this change that change that whereas the good directors in my opinion always like come to the the booth come to the mixing thing for at least like one full day and they sit there with you while you do the things and they make sure that you that you like don't do a whole thing and then they don't like it so mm. So that's what I sort of like try to do in, in the films that I direct, just give that sense of like, I actually do care about you. I want to know um, even just general things like how was your week? What other jobs are you doing? Mm. You know, um, not always just film, film, film. So basically the good traits of a good director is just the good traits of a good human. <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, just care about people, you yeah. know? Which is like forgotten these days. Like how far kindness will take you, like what people will be willing to do or help you out on if you're just like a nice person. 
Yeah, and like I mean, we've seen that in in this production, this project. Um, you know, a lot of the crew members are like not paid as much as they would be paid on like a proper shoot or whatever, because you know we're very low low budget at, at this stage, and they just come through. You know, we recycle a bunch of crew members, um, meaning that they like do more than one do more than one film uh, with us, which is you know amazing, and and I hope that we've just been nice enough on set that they'd keep wanting to come back. Because, mm-hmm. I, I mean, like Mark said, like when, when, when somebody likes you uh, or likes the work that you're doing and they don't think that you're an asshole, they'll just do whatever you ask of them. Yeah. Within reason. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I think uh, just being kind and caring. Yeah. Cool, so on that note, right, when do you become a good director? Is it when a bunch of companies maybe start paying you to produce a lot of work? Or maybe um, it's like something within yourself. What is what is your opinion on that? Um. I don't think that you become a good director if you get jobs. I don't think that that's what it's about. I think, yeah, making money is is one thing, but I think it's when you have like an un, you have like a vision that you that you're fulfilling. You know what I mean? Um, I don't think someone who just goes along and like where the money is like. Of of course, that's obviously um, a part of it because everything works off of that. But um, I think you become a good director when you're telling like your story the way you want to, and you're collaborating with people, um, and you're being a a good person. And you're like, mm. it, I don't think it's about you know, because then like great directors would be like, I don't know, Michael Bay. <laughs> no, but I, I mean, mean I mean, sure. It's fun in his own way, but I mean, like. Yeah, no, but I mean, if you are a good director and if you do those things, then people would see it and want to offer you jobs anyway, right? Yeah, true. So, so it's not like mutually exclusive. I don't think you, you, you have to be poor <laughs> to be a good director. No, no, no. I mean, there's a lot of good directors. I mean, um, the good directors often get the bigger budgets you know so um i mean i definitely agree it's not like once you get a lot of jobs then you're a good director but i think getting a lot of jobs is a sign that you're doing something right true but i mean let's say it's just like you you've got a camera and you've got a couple of friends and you're telling the story the way you saw it in your head and like you had a vision and you're doing it then you're a good director. You know what I mean? Mm. I would say like a bad director is someone who like panders to mm. whatever is like popular and they just do, they just like follow a trend. You know what I mean? I think a good director is someone who like follows their own heart. You know what I mean? And money is a part of that, obviously, because yeah. like you have to get money to make the films that where your heart is, you know? That yeah, 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 Everything is like paid for, but I mean... Um, yeah, I think a, a not good one is one that 
pandas versus, you know, just the person who's like using film to tell their story and it's like I have to do have to do it this way, I saw it this way and that obviously doesn't mean you're like some dictator. There's obviously collaboration and like a whole thing about filmmaking is that it's a collaborative collaborative um medium. But you know what I mean? It's like when you're mm. following following your own heart and not doing it just because you know what I mean all right cool yeah yeah so I guess that brings us to why do you do it why do I do it um well I like Yaku I've also I was doing directing at film school then I switched um and did post-production not because the directing at film school isn't useful it's just it's really good to get uh like a technical skill at film school and i think why i think why i have why i also want to like always direct as in like why can't i just be happy doing like post-production is just i mean i i do love editing obviously but i don't know there's just something that there's no other way to like satiate that like need to to like make films unless it's like I don't know how to explain it probably you know what I mean it's just like that that drive it's like you just you have to do it otherwise hmm. you're unhappy <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> but I also think like people that are, are good directors and want to direct are like just like natural storytellers like you just have to do it it's like some people in the society are the people that tell the stories sitting around a campfire you know what I mean there's the people that tell the stories and I think definitely more people um, need to like try it out and there needs to be as many voices telling the stories but <coughs> I don't know, you're just attracted to it, like, as soon as you watch, like, that first movie that makes you want to make movies, it's like, this is what I'm doing, this is this mm. is it, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. like, <sighs> yeah, I, I, I don't think it's about, like, wanting to take control, like, I, I don't think I'm, um, I think I'm more, like, introverted in a way in my, like, normal life. So I don't think it's like wanting to be like in the spotlight or anything like that. I don't know, it's hard to explain. It is hard to explain. What is that movie that made you want to make movies? I think I answered this in the between the setups. But um, so when I was much younger, I would always, you know, watch like the stuff that kids watch, like Disney films and... Uh, sort of bigger, like, blockbuster type of stuff. Um, like, I have very, very vivid memories of watching, like, Jurassic Park for the first time, which is, I mean, still, it's a great film. I'm not going to say it's not. But um, I think it was, like, the first time I watched Blade Runner, and I was, like, way too young to understand what was actually going on. And I think it stuck with me because I didn't, like, understand. But I, I understood the questions that it posed, like, 
oh, this is a human, but they're not a human. And like, what does it mean to be a human? And like, oh, these things that like, what does it mean to have emotions? And I was just like, way too many questions that just like stuck with me. And I was like, oh, like, this is what you can do with movies. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to just be like big bombastic stuff, but like the biggest stuff for me is like those questions cool what was yours I, I mean i don't know if i really had one because like I, I mean i also said in the between the setups i started a youtube channel with a couple of friends in high school so um and that that didn't even come from wanting to entertain it was just my friend joined the school newspaper and he wanted us to join as well and we we're like we don't want to join um but i just earlier started just playing around with the camera or whatever. So I was like, we'll make YouTube videos or whatever, school news videos. Right. It Super starts, cool. It always starts <laughs> with get, just like getting a camera and yeah. then putting stuff together. And then it's like, yeah, this is the greatest thing ever. Yeah. But I mean, I was, I was watching those big blockbuster movies until I was like 18 or still. I mean, I still watch. I like, I like the Avengers. <laughs> but um, I never really watched any like what do you call them like not I'm not saying there's bad movies and I mean there are bad movies and good movies but art movies or yeah, like art house and yeah I never watched any of that business until um, there was a guy I was volunteering at the church and there was a guy who just started working there um, Christopher and uh and I told him I'm coming to film school. And he was like, he was just talking about all these movies. I've never seen any of them, right? And, and he was like confused. How do I want to come to go to film school but I haven't seen these movies? So he gave me a list of stuff. And, uh, and I started watching those. And, and when I saw the Grand Budapest Hotel, I was like, oh. <laughs> I mean, I, I tried, he started me off hard. He was like putting Aronofsky in my face and whatever. And I was like, no. <laughs> But then when I saw the Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, I, I got hooked. But I mean, I was, it's weird to say that because I've already decided to go from So I just like fit it together. Yeah. Can I steal one of your questions? Yeah. <laughs> We've got the questions here in front of us, sorry. But one of Mark's questions was, um, do you believe in the OTF theory? Right. And uh, I mean, we just spoke about like Wes Anderson, um, kind of, mm-hmm. which a lot of people would would uh, classify as classify an Ortier. But, I think but, but let's explain what is what is the Ortier theory? An Ortier, an, an Ortier is basically like uh, this film or this, it can apply to different like mediums of art as well. It's like this thing came from that person and it's like they're the the only sort of like leading creative force in the whole thing it's theirs and um so you get like Kubrick or Wes Anderson or PTA or like Jean-Luc Godard and uh the sort of I suppose it did in film it like came from like the like the French New Wave kind of 
mm. movement of like this film came from that person their their names behind it they're the only sort of driving creative force which <clears throat> the reason why I put this question in there is because I think I have problems with just the perception of what people think is an auteur anyway um, because Wes Anderson he's classified as like an auteur but he's not not collaborating with people yeah, Kub yeah. Kubrick was like is an auteur but like he always had his collaborators with yeah. him. So it's not it's like, like it's not like Wes Anderson is building the sets. Yeah, he's it's like, more like I just I just disagree with the whole perception of like auteur in mm. the first place. I mean, which is why I wanted to ask the question. That's a good that's a good point. I don't think I'm like as strongly against it as you are because sure, of course they're not doing it themselves, but they're still the ones explaining to the you know for example the art director i want it to be symmetrical i want it to be pastel colors and i want mm -hmm. it to be like very he's also you know speaking to the cinematographer do this this yeah. on a dolly don't do it handled yeah so i do but that's just the director yeah but <laughs> but that's the thing like a good director i mean how many people have tried to to copy wes anderson style Right? Every film exactly, ever. exactly. And how many of them actually got it right? Not many. None of them. Well, okay, maybe maybe there are some. But that's my point. Like just because um just because like you can re remake the style, it's not gonna be the same as the person who is like the driving force. Mm-hmm. You know? So I I, I I mean I kind of agree with it. It's not the but same yeah, part. I just meant like the way that it's viewed as like it's where it's viewed like negatively. In terms oh. of people always say like, Oh, they're an auteur, they just do things their own way, they don't ever collaborate, it's their way or the highway. But oh. I, I in my experience of like like researching these people, watching tons of interviews and reading about them, it's never that way mm. with anyone. Even like Kubrick, who was apparently this like the cliche of like this asshole director of you do the things this way, you do that. He was not like that. Yeah, exactly. He had a he had a process. Yeah. But he was very much a collaborator. Yeah. Like, yeah you yeah. can't be a good director if you aren't a collaborator. Exactly. And the auteur theory the negative the view of it is that's like them and only them hmm. which i think yeah, is, yeah, yeah which i think is nonsense like every single good director yeah was a collaborator yeah i mean Ingmar like Bergman, coming back to what we said earlier what we said come back to what like kubrick famously on uh, eyes wide shut hundreds of takes yeah hundreds but he, he it's if everybody on set hated him they wouldn't they have wouldn't stayed. Be there. No they wouldn't would have be there. St stuck around. No one's gonna do that. But and like, that's because he probably cared about them, and that's yeah. what we said earlier. So <laughs> it's not, it's not this like, on a pedestal kind of thing because it's, there's still people. On, I mean, I guess in like the real world, um, you get these like CEOs who just don't care. They're like ruthless, you know, mm -hmm. um, of these big conglomerates, um, and they like sort of stuck away. In their office and people like think about them in their office on the yeah, 20th floor yeah. but you can't be that as a director because you're there yeah people exactly. can see the way you act 
you know uh, a big ceo could hide away like i said yeah. and, and like pretend to care and do one thing and then that you know spread the word but if you're a director on a set you can't do one nice thing for one person yeah and then treat everybody else terribly yeah. and then hope it like spreads exactly. <laughs> you know like do you think nicole kidman and tom cruise would have stuck around if they didn't trust in the process, exactly. there's a reason why he wanted to do it a million times mm. to get that performance. They understood that, he understood that they did it. Mm. And like, there's also something coming off of that question and also linking to the thing about directors just being good people is that <clears throat> there's that famous story as well with Shelley Duvall in The Shining mm -hmm. and how on the set of The Shining apparently he like emotionally like traumatized her apparently um, on the set to make her to get that performance. Um, and then in an interview I saw with her, she said that in retrospect, she, she thought it was an amazing experience. And like, <clears throat> I would never do that. I think that there's ways to get a good, you don't have to be a a rude person to get a good performance there's no excuse for like not being a good person mm. but what do you what do you think about that like how far would you go i mean yeah i would never cross the line into being a horrible person but then the mm. thing is how like no but she okay. would have just walked away right yeah if you were, yeah if it was that bad yeah yeah i think um you have to spend time with your actors before you know, before you even start shooting, um, you have to spend time with the actors, get to know them. On Malamila, I spent two, I think we did three weeks of rehearsals. And like the first week, I just did like one session with each actor. And it was like a four hour session. And I just spoke with them. I didn't, I mean, I was like this new director, didn't know what I was doing, but I just wanted to like find out who they were. Because I had this idea where like, I'm not going to let, the actors watch the takes. I don't know why, but I thought that if I could just get them to trust me, then it, they wouldn't have to watch the takes, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think I still don't do that because it like saves a lot of time, but I also have learned to not watch every single playback. That's a different story. But it's that thing of building the trust. Like when you need people to be emotional, um, I think if you speak to them before, like on the set, I'm going to maybe mention this. Are you okay with it? Um, you know, building is kind of consent, you know, because like, I'm not saying like be like a ruthless dragon or whatever, but if, if you can like Barry, you saw Barry, obviously you told me about Barry. The series. The series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's that scene where the acting coach is talking to the like lead female, female character. No, talking about it. It's so good. And, and he's like, and she's like not doing it properly. And then he's just like tearing her, the performance apart and saying, why are you an actor and this and that. And then at the end he's like, okay, use that. And then she just delivers the best performance ever, yeah. you know? And um, so I'm thinking, so my thinking behind it is, Make sure you have that that relationship before you start, okay. right? But then, if you need to do a specific thing that might, in the moment, not feel kosher or whatever, obviously within reason, <laughs> um, then go for it. And then afterwards, she's like, "I'm sorry," because like he also went, he's like, "I'm sorry, I just I knew this would get you your yeah." 
And, um, and she was, she was grateful for it, you know, cause it, this is something that she can then use going forward. Yeah. So but in any other context, aside from the thing that you've essentially, the dynamic that you've essentially constructed, you're still like not being like a good person, right? Isn't it weird? It is weird. It is weird. But yeah, I guess in that moment, you're not being a good person, but, but there's no like trauma involved. Yeah. You know, it's not like you're intentionally hurting a person. Mm. You're just doing something to get a, a performance, you know? And then immediately afterwards, after the camera cuts, after you call cut, you go there and like, I'm sorry, are you okay? Blah, blah, blah. You're not just like, ah, oh, let's just do it again. That was terrible. You know, that's what I mean. Like, um, as soon as you get what you need, you like tell them, okay, thank you so much. That was amazing. You know, affirm or give them that affirmation that um, it might not have felt the best um, in the moment, but like on camera, it looks amazing. And also like, I mean, it's not a question, but like, that's a weird, like moral quandary. Like, is film important enough to do that to people, <laughs> you know? Um, but I think like with people, directors who like, who are like famously assholes, like Lars von Trier, for example, who like traumatized Bjork to the point where she like didn't want to be involved with films anymore. Yeah. It's like, there's, there's a line between you just, mm doing it to get a good performance and you and the actor and you both know that this is what's happening to get the performance versus like that guy's just an asshole yeah no definitely like he's just a rude person definitely you know what I mean yeah and I, I also think that there's <clears throat> there's an approach you can take there's obviously an, a line but I always think that like there's a way you can get a performance like a very good performance also without being an asshole at all, you know. And mm, mm, mm. I mean, it depends on the film. You know, Absolutely, if it's a comedy, yeah. you're not gonna, <laughs> gonna terrorize like, people. Yeah. So to conclude this part of the conversation, I think, I think um, there's a line, like you said. Um, but if you, if you did like your pre-production work with the actors mm. properly, then you'll never cross that line. Yeah, because you, you have a rapport with an actor or a person once you get to know them. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I jump on another question? So we were talking about carrying on with this. If a conflict did arise and conflicts do as they do arise on set, mm. how do you handle them? It's my own question, and it's tough. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, conflicts on on set. You've got the like light conflicts, and then you've got like deep conflicts. You know, mm -hmm. um, on longer shoots, you get more of the deep conflict. I feel like, like um, on a like a single day shoot, like we did, it's very easy to just like, ah, oh, it's you know, it's just this one day, whatever. Let's just which is the what the guy wants, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but but uh, the deeper ones are more difficult. So a light one would, for example, be uh, 
you're talking about uh, like a new setup and you're like figuring out uh, figuring out how to light it and um you're talking about the line you know mm-hmm. the the 180 degree rule mm-hmm. which is not not the like shadow one the the camera one yeah and um, and like that always confuses everybody yeah. it doesn't matter how experienced you are it's always confusing right but then at some point one of the people is going to figure it out yeah and then the other person not wanting to admit ah. that they're confused <laughs> is going to argue with you even longer yeah you know what i mean yeah and um and th- th- so that's a light conflict right so in that opportunity in that like situation you just have to like go very slow and just explain it completely yeah and then like okay, and then move your body and then move them <laughs> be like if we here <laughs> and then we're there you know they were on the line and then if we go wide we create a new line or whatever yeah and um and uh those are like, I like those i don't know i i, yeah, I like yeah yeah it's fun like figuring things out together um but it's also tough when you're the director and you're the one who comes up with the answer first because uh. then people you know they want to contribute So then you have to make it feel like it's their idea. Yeah. That's tough. I struggle to do that. I'm like sometimes I feel like I'm patronizing. I'm like, "Yeah, yeah that's that yeah, yeah, good idea." I, like I say the whole thing and then they agree and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea." And I'm like, "Wait, am I saying it's a good idea to me?" <laughs> so I, I struggle with that. But then a deeper conflict usually comes from like an emotional thing. And it's usually the people who don't have much to do on set. that like stir things. Mm-hmm. And um I'm not saying they're like bad people, but those are just those people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like on a set I've had um a production designer and a producer who were like very close friends just like talk among, amongst themselves and some other crew members about me just taking charge or whatever, right? And then I that like hurt me a bit when I heard it. So I had to like take a I don't know you know when they when I heard about it I couldn't just address it immediately because I was emotional so then I had to like step aside figure it out realize that this is not the time for it and then like deal with it later mm. you know people's skills people's skills but also it's difficult when when there's pressure you know and that was on a long shoot that was like at the at the end of a long shoot So um I mean my longest shoot has been like a seven day shoot so but yeah and then eventually like you just talk about it and and sometimes people just say things without meaning it you know yeah that's and what then, I, that's what I was about to say obviously mm-hmm. you take the time if it if you just like some things that need to be dealt with right now they're more important things but like I think just speaking about it out loud is the mm-hmm. best way like we've had lots of conflicts Yeah. But then we also know that like we just mustn't hold the grudge just like say yeah, out loud. Yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes it yeah. comes to like oh, agreeing to disagree about certain things, but like as long as it's like verbalized and you're not like holding this animosity. Yeah. Yeah. Then that that just like sits and festers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rather just like yeah. say what you feel and yeah. then you can just like solve the problem, which is another mm. thing that directing is all about just solving problems solving all the problems <laughs> true so maybe the next question to go on to would be 
how do you handle being asked a thousand questions at once while you're unsaid? I don't know. Do I, do I get asked a thousand questions at once? I don't know. I mean, you're making... I'm making the decisions, decisions. but I, I don't think... I don't know. I, I've, for me, so far, I haven't been so overwhelmed to the point that I feel like this is too much to figure out at once. Maybe I'm just fortunate. Um... But you're making like every single decision, right? So you're getting... Yeah. Caught. Well, I mean, <clears throat> I get away with a lot of what do you think? <laughs> you know, when I'm not sure about something, I never say I'm not sure. I'm always like, what do you think? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? It's um, good as well. Because if you say I don't know as well, yeah. which is also a thing that's like really tough, is that, and especially like at film school, when like there's all of these other people relying on you for like their like marks towards like their oh yeah discipline. yeah and you, can, and you can never once in your life say i don't know because <laughs> then they're just like all trust is gone and it's like yeah what? so yeah, i do yeah. i get that you have to like include the collaboration yeah in a way that makes you still seem like um you've got your stuff together which you usually do, but also like you don't know the answer to every single question. Like yeah. you've considered like a million, like every single million things, but the th nature of mm. filmmaking is there's always going to mm. be something that you like, oh, I haven't thought about it all. And you're yeah, sitting yeah, there yeah, like, yeah. Oh, you know, for me, that's usually wardrobe. Yeah. Always. I never think about the wardrobe unless I have like a costume person. I never think about it. And then like, especially with like actresses, um, they like, you know, they're like conscious about wardrobe a bit more than some of the actors would be. So then they come to me and they have like all these options. And I'm like, I don't know. What, is, what does it mean to wear jeggings instead of like um, sweatpants? Mm, that's where you go with the, I always go with the, what do you think they would wear? Yeah. Oof, it's a good one. Because yeah. then... Because then they'll start explaining about what the things are that you don't know yeah, about. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, then you make a decision. Yeah. So then that, but that's also just like the amazing part of collaborating as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it doesn't just have to be like you create like the framework mm. of where the story like sits and the th mm. themes that we're going for and what the characters, where they are in their lives and mm. what's happening with the conflict. And then you can just like let those things you've already thought about like dictate the things that you haven't thought about you know yeah I mean? yeah exactly on surface tension right i made the like conscious choice to not do a shot list which is something that i've never done right always i always have a shot list but when i was like i think first year when we were first year yeah sean bobbitt who's the dop of 12 years a slave came to after to do like a, a talk which I thought was just the coolest thing, you know. And uh, people were asking a bunch of questions after, after his talk. And then he, he said, or somebody asked, um, how in detail do you go with shot list or whatever, right? And he's like, who shot lists? <laughs> he's like, with Steve McQueen, they just show up on the day, they look at the, at the location and they decide and they shoot. And I mean, if it works for 12 years a slave, wow, <laughs> you know. Um, so, but I've never done it. And that was first year, but I was like, no, no, that's, that's not going to work. And um, so I, I made the conscious decision on surface tension 
to not shot list because I wanted to see how it works, right? And uh, it also helped that it was Nardis shooting it. I've known Nardis since literally first day of orientation at AFTA. Um, and we, we, we stayed pretty close, so we were hanging out a lot. So I knew he was a really good DOP. So I, I thought, like, if there's ever a time that I'm going to try it, even though I've never worked with him as the director, I've worked with him as the sound guy or whatever, but I've never worked with him as the director and the DOP. I was like, if I'm going to try this, it's going to be with Nardis, <laughs> right? Shout out Nardis. But, um, but it, and it just worked so well, you know? Um, it also helped that we had like a day and a half shoot, so it was a bit more flexible. So we had like a bit more time to figure things out. But yeah, I mean, we basically ended up doing what I had in my mind anyway, mm-hmm. but without all of the stress of writing it down and like having to cross it off and checking, okay, do I have all the shots? You know, Instead, I was like thinking about the story, do I, did I cover all the beats, you know? So there were a lot more decisions to be made on that day. But I think having, having the DOP be somebody that you trust, and I mean, you trust obviously all your crew, but doing that just felt liberating. Because you sort of give off a little bit of the, not the responsibility, but of the pressure. You know, you're like, okay, what do you think now? Is where should we shoot it from? What do you want to do? And and yeah, I think it worked out. I'm editing it right now and it looks amazing. I think I have to um, come from the opposite side. I don't think I can ever not shot list. <laughs> Just always have to shot list. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, it's. I think it's different on like, like on surface tension. You had like a, you still had a very clear idea of like how you wanted it to 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 be shot, and because you obviously you co-wrote it as well, and mm. obviously seeing it as we're like writing it and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I think it, it 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 that also comes from like your like closeness to it. You know what I mean? Because. I think you can also like figure out a lot of things by shot listing um, and also for me having a shot list is like just arriving with a plan mm-hmm. and then not like I mean you still had a plan for surface tension you know mm-hmm. what I mean um, but like having a plan and then having the freedom to like deviate f- from that plan to have a better plan Mm. you know Mm. what I mean Um, like you're not going to like obviously stick always 100% to a shot list because it's going to be different to like what the location is or there are a million different things but there's always like a plan to improve upon Mm. versus you know so Mm. I think there's like pros and cons Um, obviously with certain Maybe if you don't like shot list the whole thing, but there's like a sequence that you need to figure out or something. Mm. Even if you specifically didn't necessarily bring a shot list to set, you still got a shot list in your brain. Like, mm. don't arrive with no plan. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, what are you doing? But like, Nardis had like yeah. figured out all the lighting for yeah, everything yeah, already. Yeah. You yeah. had like figured out which order we were going to shoot it and stuff mm. like that. <clears throat> but basically, I think there's two approaches, but. I think the fundamental that we can both agree upon is like 
you have to have a plan. <laughs> yeah. Because otherwise, it's just yeah, yeah. a waste of time. Eventually, people are going to catch on if you're just like, what do you think? Yeah, the whole time. Whole time. <laughs> Imagine, um, do you think we should cut? <laughs> Sean Babbitt and Steve McQueen, like... Yeah, they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. <laughs> and also, like, you know Steve McQueen has got the whole thing... Yeah. like shot listed in his head like yeah 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 and he, all he's doing is recording exactly what he's seeing in his brain like, yeah, you know yeah, what i mean yeah. that talk from sean bobbitt really motivated me a lot really oh dude no, I didn't see it. dude after really after i used to do this thing every year where they just bring somebody um the next year they had the dop from star wars uh oh, yeah. force awakened i hate that guy <laughs> But, um, Why? what did he say? You said, so, so he, you're supposed to do a, a, a talk like everybody does. He just arrived and he's like, okay, so how I like to do this is just ask questions and I'll answer them. And we're like, just tell us something first so we know what to ask questions about. Yeah. Nope. So it was really slow starting to ask questions. And then eventually somebody asked him, how do you choose your projects? Because it's kind of weird. He goes from like Zoolander to, or from Star Wars to like Zoolander 2 or whatever. And, and they asked him like, how do you choose your projects? And he said, money. <laughs> no jokes. That was his answer. And then he just sort of tried to justify it by saying like, you got to decide what kind of way you want to live in life. And then how are you going to afford that? Okay. And um, yeah, it so just, just put me... Star Wars because of money? Probably. I don't know. I mean, he went from Star Wars to Zoolander too. <laughs> That's such a strange attitude. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was very disappointed by him. I'm not going to mention his name, but you can Google it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, Sean Bobbitt in first year. He, he, that was, I think that was, if I only got that one talk from first year, whole year would have been worth it. I think that's how good it was. Okay, cool. So let's move on to the next thing. Uh, oh, I, I'd like to talk about technical things. Like, um, it sort of fits in with like style and what is the kind of thing that you like. Um, I mean, obviously, technical things shouldn't matter. Like cameras shouldn't matter and all this business. And that's what how a whole thing is, you know, go and shoot what you can, what you want with what you have. Right. Um, but that being said, you know, on Malamele, we had a red dragon. We shot 6K on like Zeiss Master Primes. And um, that was nice. <laughs> um, but that being said, uh, I still don't have an export, a 6K export of Malamele, which kind of sucks. Because the project went. Because the project went all cuckoo wonka. Um, <laughs> It's a technical term. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, but I, if I, let's talk like if we could choose, we have our like $20 million budget, mm -hmm. right? Um, like, is that something that you would consider or would you just leave that to your DP? Mm -hmm. I think it depends on the project as well. Um, so like with... Uh, you're also talking about like the style 
mm. and how that feeds into the style. Mm. So with Alakrapi's um, Opastoki, um, I wanted to do that like Jean-Marc Vallier style where I think he was on the set of like Demolition or Wild or something when he was looking around at all of the grip trucks and hundreds of people on set and walking around doing like one thing and that's Derny. <clears throat> and he was like, no, I just I don't need any of this stuff. Like, just give me, we'll just have a camera, we'll just have actors and we'll just choose good shots and we'll tell the just story. And like, yeah. So that's what I wanted to do on that film is like, not have many people. I mean, Which it would it would have been, like, I think it would have been a disaster if there was more people as well, because it would there were already so many problems that happened. It would have <laughs> been like, it would have been chaos if there were mm. like, you know, a lot more people there. <clears throat> so I think it definitely depends on the project. Like, if something, like Alakrapis was about those two characters. You didn't mm. need anything else. You just needed mm. like, I just wanted to have a camera, two actors. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Let, let's go for it. Yeah. But obviously, if something requires like more, um, more equipment, like you can't make like, like Blade Runner twenty forty nine doing that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Of course. It's like you'd struggle. <laughs> I, think I, I think it's like what the. It's like what the project. But maybe those Nigerian like, kids can do it. You know, you've seen them. Have you seen those movies? They're really cool. Um, there's these. Don't you know about them? There's these like kids oh, in Nigeria. Do, like, amazing. Yeah, CG VFX, and, and, and they only have like this really old laptop. Yeah, it's good. You can do yeah. it. Yeah, you can exactly. It. You can do whatever. Exactly. They they are the inspiration as well. Or they should be to a lot of people. But. But for me, um, when I talk about technical things, I, I, I like to get, I mean, I'm a technical person. I like to know about what the cameras do and what they, what are, but I don't really operate on films. Like I, I, I would shoot little ads or whatever to make money, but I'm not really a, a camera operator, right? But I like shooting wide angles, wide angle lenses. Mm. And, um, and then like getting like in there with the direct, the actor. I mean, some actors like it's like oh, it's invading my personal space, but like you know, it's that that proximity. It's like it's like now you're there with the character when you're watching like yeah. Birdman. Birdman is the ultimate like yeah. example well, that I'm that a, scene. I'm a, yeah, as well. I haven't watched Amelie. Oh, also the same it's thing. Like, but yeah, it's that it's that scene in for me. It's that scene in Birdman where Emma Stone is is yelling at her father, mm, Michael Keaton. So good. And, and it's like just, it's just in here and it's like super wide. And like when I saw that, I was like, this is, this is going to be the thing that I shoot. Um, so we got a 16 mil lens for Malamila and I was like, that's going to be amazing. And then I didn't know that, you know, all of these like big Hollywood cameras are super 35 mil. And I thought that meant full frame. It doesn't. It's basically the same as APS-C, meaning full frame there's this whole craze going on about full frame nowadays um and i have a full frame camera that's what we're shooting on but for filmmaking that's not a thing usually i mean now they've you know the red is the monstro which is a full frame sensor and um ari has brought out the large format the lf cameras 
Um, so it's becoming a thing. But, but I was just like, I want to shoot wide. And like this lens was wide, but it was like equivalent to like a 24 on a, on your normal like full frame cameras. So I decided that's going to be my thing, right? But then with these shorts, I could, I, we only have the lenses that we have, right? Because lenses are expensive. We're not going to rent. And, um, um, so I just like decided if we can't get wide enough, we'll just shoot what the story needs. And, and we've literally been zooming in on all of my shorts. I've had like these zoomed in shots. Maybe, maybe like Justine has like a couple of wide angles, but surface tension artists would intentionally stand further back and zoom more in. I mean, I think that's more his style, um, but it looks great for that film, you know, um, uh, public engagement, we, we decided to emulate that whole broadcast camera thing and that has to be zoomed in. So we even cropped the sensor to an APS-C to make it like smaller and, and then we zoomed further in. And um, so what I'm learning is that um, a lot of people have like technical styles, you know, which is to say like the wide angle, whatever, but it all depends on the movie. You know, it's not just, not always just, this is, I want to shoot wide angle. And that's going to work for all, every movie ever. You know, mm. even <clears throat> Wes Anderson has a couple of shots that are not perfectly symmetrical. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, I don't know. I, I wanted to speak about, about that and just like say that, that limiting yourself is also a great way to, to build a style. Mm. You know? Does that make sense? Yeah. Because um, with this camera, Sony a7 III, um, you know, lenses are really expensive. So I don't know if you know this, but like, Sony lenses are really expensive. Um, Tamron is doing great work now with cheaper lenses, but I mean, it's still 13,000 Rand for a lens, which is a lot in Yaku dollars. <laughs> so, um, so I've been experimenting a lot more than I would have if we had more budget because I would have insisted everything is wide angle. I mean, I think I also like to go into each one with like more like, like a set of like, like I like to have like an approach, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like with Alokrapis, I wanted to go with that sort of everything handheld, just mm -hmm. it's just about the performance um but then with um something with robots like robots it had like it was more about that <clears throat> movement and like finding um like finding moments like letting things run and like finding moments mm -hmm. um and also having like a different approach of how we shoot like the one part of the film versus the other part of the film. But yeah, I suppose that's that's what you, what you're saying as well. It's like um, about it's about like setting those constraints that like dictate the style. You know what I mean? Mm. <clears throat> it's not so much like at film school. I was obsessed with like um, oh, you know, this shot is like this and that has that. This shot is like this and it has that. And then shooting them all and then putting them all together versus now I think on these shorts I like to go in with an approach that then dictates the style, you know what I mean? Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, definitely. I'm doing the same. More considering things on like like a macro level versus like a... Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> you know, Engage. what each... Yeah. Like just knowing that like if you're constructing the way that we're doing things, the shots are going to end up feeling like this and looking like this. Mm. Mm. So it's almost like you just set those constraints yourself and then that dictates like the, the style of them. Cool, I think let's do one more question. Well, who's your favorite director? Go. Oh. Um, what directors? I mean, yeah, thanks. Wes Anderson, David Fincher. Yours? Um, Richard Linklater, David Lynch, Yorgos mm. Lanthimos. Okay, hold on. This can't be too long because <laughs> then we can just keep going. Okay, those are the three. For me, like it's been like it, like it stems from watching Grand Budapest Hotel in that like time period. Oh, Jean-Marc Vallier. <laughs> Can't keep adding. Jean-Marc Vallier. No, no, no. You only have three. Now you have to bump one. I can't do it. <laughs> you have to. No, there's four. You have to. You can't. Who are you going to bump? Can't do it. You have to. I can't. You have to. You only had two. I can have yeah. four. No, you can't have four. I was like, I was like trying to think about one. I was like, you can only have one. And then you said more than one. I was like, okay, I'll have two. Well, there's four. Karen, I thought you were He's saying. a sellout. I'm not a sellout. I just, I can't, I can't you choose. You have to choose. You're the director. <laughs> Make choices. Shots fired. <laughs> what was I saying? I don't know. Oh, for me, this Wes Anderson thing stems from watching Grand Budapest Hotel in that time that I spoke about earlier. You know, it was literally the the gateway movie, <laughs> if oh, yeah. that makes sense. I mean, I, it's not the movie that made me want to make movies. But it's the movie that made me... Formative. Yeah, it's like what you said with, with Blade Runner. It's the movie that made me understand what cinema could be. Yeah, yeah, you know? That's very... That's, yeah. yeah, everyone always talks about like, what's the movie that made you want to make movies? But there's a difference between like, the movie that made you want to make movies or like what made you want to make movies and also like the movie that like shaped... Like mm. or changed your whole mm. view. Mm. Martin yeah. Scorsese as well. <laughs> okay. I'll just keep on adding. <laughs> and like for me, Fincher, you're gonna have to do this as well. Explain why they're on your list. Okay. Um, Fincher is such a perfectionist, and I love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean. But also a collaborator. Yeah, you yeah, see, no, no, of course. Hand in hand. Of course, but he's like working smart about it instead of time consuming you know mm, what i mean yeah he because he also comes from like a vfx background and then he went into directing like they shot they built a house in a green where a warehouse that was like just painted green screen all around and then they shot the whole gongol house thing inside there and they just digitally added the, the outside who does that <laughs> just go find a house um so Breaking Bad, you know, those houses with sets. Oh, no, I mean the houses, no, I get sets, right? I get that. I but building a whole house, uh, not, a whole not house. just a couple of rooms, a, whole, a house. whole house. And then even doing exterior shots where it's just green screen with like a couple of 
wild. Yeah, do that. it's crazy. Yeah, but but that's not like that's not what what I like about it. I like how it's precise. You know, he he does that thing where he merges shots. Mm-hmm. You know, like so is a lot of his shots would be composed with like shapes. Yeah, that he can then rotoscope and time frame shifts and whatever to fit different so you can have the best take from actor one and the best take from actor two not just the best take overall and like also like his style with all the wide angles that he does mm. I like i like his technology i like how he uses red um i like that he uses premiere pro i don't know it's just so Smart. much yeah okay, yeah it's yeah so that's that's what i like about fincher mm. Adapt and his and movies are great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, adapt and change, and and I like how he wants it to be crisp. He wants everything to be crisp. A lot of people just want like, no, keep it like film, right? Which fine, whatever, keep it like film for you. But film's dead. That's just like act the actual film reel, shooting on film. That's dead. Why not explore what digital can do? Why have, do you have to emulate what film did? That's what. That's my opinion. I disagree. You have to give my ear a lot too. I still like film. I still want to shoot on film someday. No, I'm good. Um, I, I just give me a red. Give me an 8K monster. I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> um, oh, my directors. Uh, Richard Linklater. Um, the Before Trilogy made me obsessed with couples. And just how... Um, he messes around with structure, but like consciously, mm-hmm. like when I watched Slacker the first time, and it was just that thing of um, just and waking life, like just changing the idea of what a film can be. Mm. Also watching all of his films, I was like, oh, what a film can be like this. Oh, you can shoot a bit of a film over like 12 years and show someone <laughs> growing up. Like he's, he, he really just like, like blows everything wide open. Like you don't have to do it this way. You don't have to structure something this way. If you want to say or tell this type of story, you can do that. You, it, things don't have to like conform to the way they like have always been. You know, yeah. um, innovator. I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, David Lynch. I mean, David uh, Richard Linklater. I mean, this is probably the least amount of um, what do you call it? Brown, groundbreaking movie that is made, but like. School of Rock is my favorite movie. So good. Yeah, like, it's, it's so good. Yeah. Because he also understands, like, if it doesn't need to be told that way. You know what I mean? He understands yeah. which way a film needs to be told to convey that idea. Mm. Mm. You know what I mean? If School of Rock didn't need that, you just need to put a camera up and put Jack back in the front of it, then, yeah, yeah. then do that. Like, yeah. and if the I script mean, they still is had, amazing. Like, yeah, they still had, like, a bunch of, you know, technically... I mean, it doesn't look very, like impressive or yeah no but it is but it, yeah. it's very like methodical right yeah and the way he makes everything seem so natural yeah but it's still like so like technically yeah. wild yeah i also like the way he keeps everything grounded um like the most extraordinary life-changing events can just happen like between two people mm. um david lynch taught me um like dream logic, I guess, like the way things don't have to be conventionally logical, but you can, a lot of it comes from just the feeling and experience of it. Like you don't have to be able to explain your experience. It's just like 
mm. creating something that's like such a the ex, that's an experience of watching it you know what I mean um, I mean I, I don't want to start an argument or whatever but like I, I used to think David Lynch was like really amazing but I don't know after after Twin Peaks I mean it's good but what does it mean and why don't you want to tell me what it means? Does it mean anything? I disagree. I think he. I don't like that. I think that's an, the important thing of just of letting an audience interpret, and just have an experience. Like it's not like a preacher's platform, you know. No, I mean, no, I get X that. Means, X means. But y. like, if you don't get anything from it, you're just confused. What then? He uses confusion. Everyone's so afraid of confusion these days. Everyone's like, oh, if you're confused, they aren't going to like it. You aren't going to give it money and then it's not going to be a bad thing. Like, I spend most of my life being confused and existentially terrified of everything. So Yeah, so are you so not looking no, for the so comforting. No, it's so comforting watching something that doesn't have any answers, that presents like more that. questions, that's more confusing. That's cool. It's, it's your thing. I don't like it's it. It's great. I love, it's cool. I love questions and just... Questions without answers. Yeah, I think. I, don't I mean, I don't. I don't think I. I don't think I write like that, but I think he taught me the potential of having that type of experience. You know what I mean? I mean, I. Th <clears throat> there's a difference between for me. There's a difference between leaving something open ended and like, oh, you can still like, decide what the ending is for yourself, and then just making a thing that, is difficult to understand for the sake, of making. I think, which is, which is, which is what I get from his thing, but that's just me. You can, you can continue. Um, Yorgos Lanthimos, um, man, I watched Dogtooth for the first time and that was also like a formative experience. Um, and just the way that he does like rule setting in his like world of story that I kind of, um, absurd and the way he really asks you to like suspend your disbelief mm. um, is like like super important um, just like the ability to create an, an um, a different way that things work inside a film like to create its own like internal logic I think is also um, pretty genius um, and that dictates, even if like the story itself isn't necessarily like <clears throat> kind of absurd, like if you look at the favorite, for example, but he still creates that, that like otherworldly, like you go into this whole space. Mm. Um, that and like it's ultra wide yeah. in the kitchen. Yeah. And yeah. you're able to like, you're able, he also taught me to like, the, the importance of like observing behavior, you know what I mean? You don't always have to be like with the characters the whole time, like, and be like one-on-one -on -one with what they're going through emotionally. Like sometimes it's very interesting to look at things like objectively, mm -hmm. um, which he does, he does very well. Mm -hmm. So that was my three, what was the... No, that, that was, that, that was it. No, that, that's your three. Oh, but I explained Jean-Marc Vallée anyway, so I got away with it. Damn it. Cut it out. <laughs> I'm going to cut it out. You're like, what is he talking about? That wasn't in there. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, so I think let's wrap it up there. Thank you, Mark, for 
this conversation. Thank you. Thank you, everybody out there for listening. Um, I hope you got something out of it. I mean, we basically just spoke about things for like an hour. Isn't that all But podcasts? that's all podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, if you're interested, there's going to be a once a month thing. Go and check out all the previous uh, podcasts. It's over on the YouTube channel and also on all of your podcast sites, Spotify, whatever. Okay, so then until the next one, go and make, make your, your movie. movie.